through some ups and downs and just some tough experiences, that it matters very, very much what you believe about God. As a matter of fact, everything hinges on what you believe about God. Because what you believe about God is going to decide how you believe he looks at you, how he views you. If you believe he's an angry God, steam coming out of his ears, furrowed brow, mad about every little mistake you make and ready to crush you like a bug, let me tell you something. You're not going to be a joy-filled Christian. But if you believe, listen, that he's for you, he's for you. Now, there's a thought, maybe a novel thought for some of us. Uh, It took me a while to believe that. But I want you to think about the concept that God is actually on your side, pulling for you. He wants you to have victory. He wants you to win. He's not out to get you every time you make a mistake. He's pulling for you. He's in your corner. He's on your side. He's on your side because of Jesus who lives in your heart. He's on your side because he's on Jesus' side. Amen? He's on your side because he's on his son's side. So today I want to just read a very brief verse to you and talk to you about this concept of God being on our side. And I'm going to tell you why it's so important that we believe that. And if we don't believe it, it's going to cripple our spiritual walk, our prayer life, everything. So since it's just one brief verse, then I want you to read it with me out loud like you're the preacher. So if you don't do it good, I'm going to make you redo it. All right? Are you ready? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now think about that. Now I don't like if at the front of the verse. Because it's not an if. And Paul didn't mean to say, I'm kind of wondering and hoping he's with me. If he is, then that's great. If he's not, oh well. It's better said this way, since. Since God is with me. Who can ever be against me? So I want us to reread it. Let's do it. we put sense in there, all right? Since God, now stop a minute. I thought of something. I don't want you to say us. I want you to say me. All right? Since God is for me, who can ever be against me. There you go. Good stuff. So I'm going to talk to you about that today. and We're going to learn. And I want you to go out of here today with confidence that because of Jesus, God is on your side. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the powerful word of God. This is, it is quick and powerful, sharper than a sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit. And it discerns the thoughts and motivations and meditations of our heart. And Lord, it's the word of God that builds our faith. It's the word of God that is a light shining in our soul. It's the word of God that lightens our path, guides our way, carries us safely through the landmines of this world. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that today you will make it so real to us that you're for us that we will never doubt it again. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor and preach to him a little bit and say, God is for you. God is for you. Amen. Now, it's so important that we believe this because if we don't believe it, it affects our confidence. If I don't believe somebody's on my side, I'm not going to have much confidence that they're going to do anything I ask them to do. 
I'm not going to have confidence they're going to stand up and fight for me. If I, if, if I don't think they're for me, I don't want to spend much time with them. If I don't think they're for me, then I don't consider them a friend. I don't consider them somebody I want to run with. Why would I waste my time walking with somebody who's not on my side, who's not for me? Isn't that what a friend is? A friend is a friend because no matter what you do, if they're a real friend, whether you're up or down or in between, they're for you. If you mess up, everybody else might walk out, but a real friend will call you and say, let's go get some coffee and talk about it. I'm still your friend. Amen? Because the reason we crown somebody a friend is because we believe they're for us that they believe in us. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to humanize God. God is not like a friend. He's greater than a friend. He's the almighty God. But here's the deal. Jesus is called a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So if Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, then it goes without saying, he's got to be for me. He's with me. He's on my side. He's pulling for me. He wants the best for me. He's in my corner. When I'm fighting the devil, he is, he is cheerleading me on to win the battle and doing everything he can to help me to win. That's what a real friend is. So the Bible here, Paul, is giving us an incredible chapter. Everybody ought to go out of here and read Romans chapter 8. It's the greatest chapter in the greatest book ever written. Now, the Bible is the greatest total book ever written, but in the Bible, in the New Testament, I think Romans takes the cake. Romans, Romans has, has got it going on. Romans, there's nothing in Romans that Paul doesn't cover uh, theologically, personally, with our whole walk. I mean, there is nothing that's not covered in the book of Romans. And the greatest chapter in Romans is chapter 8. Why? Because it's so victorious. If you read Romans 7 and stopped there, you'd be depressed. All right? Because Romans 7 would depress you. Oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I do. Making them they kind of sound like schizophrenic a little bit. What I want to go do, I don't do. And what I really don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. What's wrong with me, oh, wretched man that I am? But he doesn't leave it there. He says, now let me tell you the victorious side of the Christian message. Verse 1, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. We're no longer walking under the dictates and orders and demands of the flesh, but we now walk according to the Spirit, meaning we have not been born once, we've been born twice. Born once, you are of flesh. Born twice, you are of the Spirit. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're hellbound. Born twice, you're heavenbound. Born once, the devil is your master. Born twice, Jesus is your master. See, a great difference exists between in Christ or out of Christ. That's the only kind of people that are on the earth. You're either in Christ 
or you're out of Christ. If you're out of Christ, there is condemnation. But if you're in Christ, there isn't any condemnation anymore because the Son of God has washed your sins away by his shed blood so there's no more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation, no more living under the tyranny of endless woulda, shoulda, if only I had this and if only I had that. You can't go back and change your past, but your past can be forgiven. And so Paul is coming at us in chapter 8 with this incredible, victorious chapter where he covers all kinds of reasons to let us know that Jesus Christ and God the Father are for us, on our side. And it's so important. How are you going to have confidence in prayer if you don't believe he's for you? How are you going to have confidence in witnessing if you don't believe he's for you? How are you going to have confidence in spiritual warfare If you don't believe he's standing next to you, with you, for you, fighting your battles with you. I love knowing that, that, listen, my battles are his battles. I'm not fighting alone. My battles are the Lord's battles because I'm his child. When the devil picks on me, he picks on him. When the devil attacks me, he attacks him. So I love the verse, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, I'm talking about the devil's tongue, you will condemn, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and your righteousness is of him. Can we thank the Lord for that? Amen. I was thinking, you know, how could Moses have ever gone up to Pharaoh face to face? I mean, the mightiest man on the earth. God, think about this. He went up to the mightiest man on earth, and he said, let my people go. Moses, and what did he have with him? He had a staff, and he had a brother, Aaron. That's it. He had no weaponry. He had no army. He had nothing in the natural. But he had a God who was for him. He had a God who was with him. So he was able to say with authority to Pharaoh, who thought he was crazy, let my people go. Pharaoh said, Who do you think you're talking to? Are you crazy? Go away. Well, about 10 plagues later, Pharaoh was changing his tune because he realized that he had not gone up against a man. He had gone up against the God who sent the man. And so if God be for us, standing with us, by our side, fighting for us, the the apostle says, who in the world can be against you. No devil can be against you. No person can be against you. No circumstance is greater than him. God is greater. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world and everything the world can throw at you. Amen. So you you, you gotta see yourself. The way you view God, you gotta see yourself We need to see ourselves on the winning side. And if Romans 8 tells us anything, it tells us we're on the winning side. We're in a win-win relationship with the living God. Amen. How could Abraham have walked away from his hometown, everything he knew and loved, his family, his friends, familiar surroundings? All he heard God tell him was, start walking. Think about that. Start walking. Well, where am I going? I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but I just want you to start walking. And it says he left his hometown not knowing where he was going. Not knowing. Where are you going, Moses? If you or Abraham, if you had gone up to him and said, hey, man, where are you going? I don't know. 
Well, who told you to go where you don't know? God. Well, why are you trusting God to tell you to go where you don't know? Because I trust his character, and I know he's for me. And if he's for me, he's with me. And if he's with me, I'm in. I'm all in. If he's with me, I am all in. How could David have faced Goliath if he hadn't believed God was for him? You know, that, that, that giant Goliath was a symbol, a type, an illustration of every giant we ever face. He, he was just a living, breathing illustration of what a giant is. A giant is bigger than you. A giant is stronger than you. A giant is more intimidating than you. A giant is better weaponized than you. That's what Goliath was. He was the archetype of every giant we face, every mountain we encounter. And what made David think that he could walk up to him, not with a sword, not with a spear, not with an army, but with a slingshot and a rock. And he had five stones. And I later learned because Goliath had four brothers. So he had one stone for Goliath and four left over in case your brothers come to defend you, try to stick up for you. I'm taking them down too. He was loaded for bear. He was ready for every giant that came at him. And how was he confident that Goliath would come down? Because he knew that God was for him. Because you see, David had a history with God. And that's what we need to understand ourselves. That those lions you're facing in the shadows that nobody knows about. David told Saul, He said, Saul, I'm going to take this guy down, and let me tell you how I know I'm taking him down. Because I was was shepherding my daddy's sheep, and a lion came out of nowhere and attacked those sheep. And when I went to defend those sheep, something came on me, Saul, that was not normal. Something happened to me that was not normal. Something strengthened me that was not natural. And I grabbed that lion by its beard and I killed it with my bare hands and walked away and fell apart. How in the world did I do that? And he learned that when I've got an enemy, I'm not standing alone. There is a God who is for me and with me and I'm going to bring the enemy down. And then it's as if God said, well, I'm going to make sure you learned your lesson. So he allowed a bear, a she-bear, to attack the lambs. And I'm telling you, if you go look up today, Google or Bing, I prefer you Bing, don't Google. Google's major, mega, liberal, nutty, leftist. Leave Google. Go to Bing. That's free. Bing it. Everybody say Bing it. But if you go to Bing and you look up Israeli bear, you're going to see the creature that David went up against, and it's awesome. This thing would tear you apart like you were made of toothpicks. And this bear came up against the sheep. And David again experienced that when I'm up against an enemy and I am where God wants me to be and I'm defending what God wants me to defend and I'm there on my father's business because those sheep weren't his, they were Jesse's. He was sticking up for his daddy's sheep, what his daddy owned. Let me tell you, this church is not mine, it's my daddy's. I, 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 you're not, you're not mine. You're my daddy's. And, and, and when the, when the enemy comes against you, I'm, I'm going to defend you and pray for you because you belong to my daddy, my father in heaven, the Lord God. And, and, and David said, you're coming up against my daddy's sheep. And the same thing came upon him. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. He grabbed that bear by the beard, took him down and killed him barehanded. Now, what was God doing? He was teaching him in the shadows. Nobody was there. 
Nobody saw it. If he had gone and told Jesse and his brothers, hey, I just killed a bear with my bare hands, they just said, right, kid, you're, you're daydreaming too much. Take a break. But no, when nobody could see it, but God and him and the angels. He said, I'm learning something in the shadows when nobody's looking. God's training me in my private battles because there's a public battle coming up in my life. There is going to be a national crisis. And a national crisis is going to call for a man of God who knows how to walk in the anointing of the Spirit and to bring down the enemy. And and he didn't know that was going to be him. He didn't anticipate or envision Goliath. He was just learning in the shadows how to kill giants and enemies under the anointing of God, not by natural weaponry. The weapons of our warfare are not natural. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of, can I say it, giants, strongholds, stubborn enemies who will not quit harassing us. David said, I learned in the shadow, Saul. So this guy, this giant, he's no big deal. He's going to come down just like the lion did, just like the bear did. So if God is writing your spiritual warfare history in the shadows right now, and nobody knows about it but you and God, you need to know the day is going to come when there's going to be a crisis, and you're going to be the man, and you're going to be the woman, and you're going to step into the gap, and you're going to wield the power of God, and you're going to bring a victory where everybody else is trembling in their tents. Come on, everyone. But how did David bring him down? Because he knew that God was for him. I want you to say with me, he's for me. He's for you. He's for you. He's for you. God is on your side. You may not feel like it because you're so flawed like me. We make mistakes, don't we? Anybody sinned in 2019 yet? If you have not sinned in 2019, raise your hand. See, I would get you right then and there. Oh, he lied. You just sinned. Just about every day. Come on. We think something. We say something. We do something especially in rush hour traffic. Come on, that's the great test. You get in rush hour traffic, isn't that where you blow it? Isn't that where you have to put on Jesus about every other second? Put on Jesus, put off the flesh, put on Jesus. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Isn't that where you have to put on love and put on patience? Because rush hour traffic is, is the great test of God in our day. Uh, how are you going to handle that? But here's the deal. When you mess up, it doesn't mean that God has rejected you. When you, when you mess up, God hasn't, hasn't decided to love you less. When you mess up, he's still for you. When you sin, he's still on your side. When you fall short, he's still right there rooting for you. He's not against you because you are human, because you make mistakes. Listen, there's, there's two things we need to realize as believers. That when you're in Christ, God sees you only through the lens of the blood. He doesn't judge you or deal with you according to your performance. Now, he will convict you of sin, but his love is not altered based on your performance. His love remains the same whether you skin your knee or not. If you fall hard, God still loves you. He's still on your side. He's still rooting for you, pulling for you, for you. Come on, everybody. See, if we, if we believe... 
that God's no longer for us, I'm not going to pray to a God who's not for me. I'm not going to go talk about a God to others who's not for me. I'm going to walk around with tuckhead. You know what tuckhead is? These people that you'll come up to and say hi to them, they can't even look you in the eye because they have tuckhead. They stir at the ground. You want to say to them, what are you looking at down there? Well, the reason I'm looking down here is because I can't look you in the eye because I'm so full of shame. I just don't have any confidence. I've just been beat down. I've made too many mistakes. I'm, I'm just ashamed of myself. And see, that person needs a revelation of the way that God views you and me. He views us through the lens of the blood. I wish I have some red-tinted sunglasses that I discovered this week, and I put them somewhere back there, and I couldn't find them. But if I put them on, all of you look red. I see all of you through red lens, all of you. See, God has on sunglasses, not S-U-N glasses, S-O-N glasses. God has on sunglasses. When he looks at you and me, he sees you and me through the red tint of the blood of his son. And so when he looks at us through the red tint of the blood of his son, he doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our shortcomings. Are you ready? Let me blow your mind. We are as perfect as Jesus to him when he looks at us with the sunglasses. The minute you get saved, God puts on sunglasses regarding your life. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see what you see in the mirror. He sees through the red tint of the blood of Jesus. So as far as God's concerned, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. Now, Paul in chapter eight gives us three reasons to believe that God is for us. And I want to quickly give them to you. One, He says, let me just show you how for you God is. He said, his spirit was sent to help you in your weaknesses. Amen. We all have weaknesses. And listen to what the Holy Spirit says, or God says in the word about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26. So here's right out of chapter 8, Romans, the victory chapter. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays, say the next two words with me, for us. So there it is. There's the two words. He's for us. He's for us. He's for us. He's for, if God be for us, who can be against us? How do we know he's for us? Because he sent his spirit to pray for us, for us. Uh, He doesn't pray against us. He doesn't pray that God will curse us. No, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. In other words, have you ever had a prayer burden where it was so heavy on you, you didn't even know how to put it in words. You could not bring out what it, what, what it was that was on you so strong. You were burdened deep down inside. And when you prayed, it might have been something so simple. God, help me. That's the feeling in the Greek here behind groanings. It is deep travail for you. He's praying for you. Sometimes we're in such a struggle in our life with people, things, circumstances, satanic attack, whatever it might be, that we don't even know how to pray. 
And so the Bible says and assures us, God is so for you that he has sent his spirit to live inside of you to literally step in the gap and intercede for you when you don't even know how to pray yourself. And the Bible says, he goes on to say in verse 27, he says, the father who knows all hearts knows what the spirit is saying for the spirit is pleading for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So when we're struggling and feel like I can't take another step, I can't sleep at night, I can't eat, I'm in a battle, this is for my life, what am I going to do? I can't even pray. You need to know that God is so for you that he gave the Spirit of God to live inside of you. And he's calling out to the Father when you can't say a word. Pull them through, God. Help them, God. Strengthen them, God. Give them victory, Lord. And last time I checked, God never prays that it's not answered. God never prays. And God the Holy Ghost never prays that it's not answered. The second proof, he's for us. He said, I'm decreeing that everything is going to work together for your good. I am so for you. I'm so pulling for you. I'm so on your side. I'm so in your corner. I have so decided that you're going to make it that I have decreed that no matter what you experience in life, I'm going to make it serve my purposes for you. And the ultimate purpose is that we would be formed and transformed into the very image and likeness of his son. So he said, I'm going to make everything. Everybody say everything. See, everything is a lot of things. Let me give you a few. I I have decreed that whether it's losses or gains, joy or sorrow, good times or bad times, acceptance or rejection, poverty or riches, reproach or favor, contempt or honor, pain or ease, sickness or health, whatever it is that comes into your life, I have decreed it's going to be forced to serve my purpose in your life. It's going to make you more like me. Whatever you experience, it's going to make you more like me. You're in a win-win. No matter what comes your way, you're in a win-win. I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a touchdown every time. You may fight your way down the field, but I'm going to give you a touchdown every time. I'm going to make everything come together to serve my purpose in your life. That's so powerful. You know, Don't we need to wake up in the morning and say, okay, all right, no matter what I face today, if people wrong me, if they betray me, if they stab me in the back, you know, some of you, you go to work and your workplace is tough, nasty jokes, foul language, lost people, and, and, and you can say with Lot, your righteous soul is vexed every day with the words and actions of the wicked. And you say, Lord, it's so burdening. It's so difficult to go to work where where there's such an attitude against you. And and Lord, I just feel sometimes so alone. Uh, When I go to eat lunch, I'm not asked to gather with them. Uh, I eat alone or I feel like I'm eating alone. They make fun of my Jesus, fun of my faith. What am I going to do, Lord? And, And God says, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're experiencing, I'm going to make 
that serve the purpose of forming you into the image of my son. You're going to win. You are not going to lose. And by the way, you're not alone at the lunch table. There's an invisible friend sitting right next to you. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. I want to close with a more. How do you know? Here's one more thing. How do you know he's for us? The most irrefutable proof, the greatest proof, the most stunning proof to me is that he did not spare his own son. Oh, let that sink in. How do I know God's for me? Because no God can be for you like our God was for us. No God could be against you who was willing to give his own son to die for you. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. He didn't give an angel. He didn't give a seraphim. He didn't give a cherubim. He didn't give a, uh, just a regular person. No, he emptied heaven of his own son. Not just any son, God the son. God the father, God the son, God the Holy Ghost. He decreed before time began, it was decreed amongst the Godhead that Jesus Christ, the son of God, would wrap himself in flesh and come to earth, not just to visit us and heal us and talk to us, but to die on a cross of shame and pain for us. Wow. Wow. Get this. He did it while we were his enemies. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. I don't know about you, but if I love somebody to death, it would still be hard for me to give up my selfish life. But look what Jesus did. He gave up his life for enemies. We were his enemies. And he gave his life up. He, he, he willingly, he said, no man makes me give up my life. No man. I give it up willingly. He did it willingly out of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he did it willingly to bring us home to him. He, he's bringing us home to him. He did it to bring us home to him. There's only one way home. There's only one door to the house. There was only one opening into the ark. Only one. And if you didn't go through that one door into that one ark, you perished in judgment. He's the way home. A little boy was found crying at a busy street intersection. I read this and I wanted to share it. It touched me. When he was asked why he was crying, this little boy said, well, I'm lost. I, I don't know where I am. And they said, well, what's your name? And he knew his name, gave him his name. But then they said, what's your address? And he said, I, I don't remember my address. And so they questioned him more. And they said, well, tell us what it looks like around where you live. What are some of the landmarks? And he said, well, there's a church. And, and when the church came up, he, he sort of brightened up. And he said, yeah, there's a church. And, and it's got a cross on top. And it's lit up at night. And then out of the mouth of babes. He said, take me to the cross and I can find my way home. Now, folks, let me tell you something, the truth. We're in a lost culture, a lost world, desperately lost, walking in desperate darkness. And there's only one door. 
And there's only one ark. There's only one way out. There's only one way home. And that's the message of the Bible. Have you thought about it? There's only one way home. You say, no, 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 no. I got all kinds of things I can look to. I, I've got this philosophy, that philosophy, this God, this, that religion. I can meditate myself into heaven or hug a tree or embrace Buddhism or Hinduism or whatever. Uh, as long as, long as I, I, my intentions are good, God, God cares about my intentions. No, 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 God does not ter- care about your intentions. God only cares about if you take the right door. God said, I gave you a door. I want to keep it simple. I gave you one door. And the door is the cross of Christ. Look at that cross. He's hanging on that cross. Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. What would we have seen if we had been there that day? We would have looked up at a man whose face you could no longer recognize. He allowed himself, God in flesh, allowed himself to be beaten beyond recognition. His visage is so marred, we do not recognize him, Isaiah said. There's no beauty that we would desire him. Beaten to a bloody pulp, crown of thorns thrust upon his glorious head. Whipped across the back where it was like a road map. Hanging on that tree. Now let me ask you a question. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? That's what the song asks. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Now, here's the Bible fact. I was there. You were there. Because our sins put him there. Can I be truthful with you? Say, well, listen, I'm not worried about offending people. The Lord offended me, and that's how I got saved. Let me tell you the truth. I was there. You were there. So how are we there? We're in the 21st century. He was in the first century because God inhabits eternity. And the Bible says he died for the sins of all of mankind, present and future. So God knew everybody who would live up to the end of time and every sin, every curse word, every adultery, every fornication, every theft, every murder, every lie was placed on him. And there he took the brunt, the judgment for my sin and your sin, we were there. And when you go to him, go to that cross, bow to him and say, Jesus, I sinned against you and against God. I broke the commandments. I did wrong. And and if you don't forgive me, I'm lost forever. But I believe that the cross is the way home. Show me the cross and I'll find my way home. Take me to the cross and I'll find my way home. And you will find that at the cross, something amazing happens to you. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. God gives you a supernatural heart transplant. You You are transformed on the spot from one thing to another. If any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, she He is a brand new creation. The old has passed away and all is become new. So I'm not talking about rehab. I'm not talking about a new year's resolution. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about self-improvement. I'm talking about being transformed by the mighty power of God. Can we stand together today? I want to read to you the most triumphant chapter or the most triumphant verses out of chapter 8. Here it is. Yes, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Say with me, more than conquerors. 
through him who loved us. For I am persuaded not death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord because he is for us. Amen. How many of you needed this today? I hope I preached the devil off your back. Because if you're being told you're not worthy, how do you know the devil's lying if he's talking? If two words are coming out of the devil's mouth, they're both lies. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's the spawner of lies. Jesus told the truth. So in your struggles today, I want you to know God is for you. So I've really sinned, Pastor Jeff. Well, repent. He's still for you. He's still for you. In your setbacks, your discouragement, your letdowns, your weariness, He's still for you. He's working behind the scenes in ways that you can't know or comprehend or perceive. He's working behind the scenes in ways that would blow your mind if you could see all that God is up to. Most of what God does is invisible to us. But He's working for you, putting together, preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I love it. He makes the devil watch Him bless you. He's working behind the scenes, weaving the likeness of His Son into the fabric of your soul, no matter what you're going through. You can't lose. Well, I feel, Pastor Jeff, like I lost last week. I lost a job. I lost a relationship. I lost my self-control. All right, you lost a battle, but you didn't lose the war. You can't lose the war. You can't lose the war. Can I say it one more time? You can't lose the war. Because the war's already won. God is for you. Nothing can be against you. Can we just go to the Lord with our battles today? And I want you just to say, Jesus, I give you my struggles. I give you the battles. Lord, I thank you that you're for me in my corner, on my side. Therefore, I'm more than a conqueror. In the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, help me to walk in this truth. Pray it. Oh, we need to walk in it. We need to walk in it. Say, Lord, help me to walk in this truth. To live this truth out. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Say with me, he's on my side. Amen. Amen. Amen.